0: Welcome to The Business of Learning, the learning leader's podcast from Training Industry. Hi, welcome back to The Business of Learning. I'm Sarah Gallo, Senior Editor here at Training Industry.
1: And I'm Michelle Eggleston-Schwartz, Editor-in-Chief. Before we begin, here's a brief message from our sponsor, Training Industry's Measuring the Impact of L&D Certificate Program.
0: Measuring the Impact of L&D Certificate Program offers the tools you need to measure and elevate the business impact of training. Rooted in the research-based training manager competency model, you'll leave this elite training industry course with actionable strategies and best practices that you can immediately apply in your role to better measure and assess training programs of all kinds. To learn more about the program, visit trainingindustry.com or check out the show notes for today's episode. Where will training measurement take you? Today, we're talking about a topic that has long been a challenge for many L&D professionals, regardless of their level of experience, measuring the business impact of training. Proving training's value to the bottom line is essential in positioning the training function as a lever for performance improvement and for gaining stakeholder buy-in and support. But as you can ask pretty much any L&D professional, connecting training to business outcomes isn't easy. So today we're speaking with some experts who can help demystify training measurement and hopefully offer some best practices that you'll be able to apply after listening to today's episode. With us, we have Lindsey Clayton, a learning and development consultant at Caterpillar, Dr. Alan Church, managing partner at Maestro Consulting and former senior vice president of global talent management at PepsiCo, and Dr. Jamie Kraus, Director of L&D at Indeed and Global Learning and Enable. Lindsay, Dr. Church and Dr. Kraus, welcome to the podcast. Thanks
2: Thank for you. having us. Thanks
3: for having
1: me. Yes, welcome. I'm excited for this conversation today because as Sarah just mentioned, we constantly hear from our audience that measuring the business impact of training is a huge challenge and an undertaking. So I'd love to get your thoughts about why you think that is. Why is proving training ROI so difficult?
3: I'm happy to start us here. Um, hi everyone, this is Jamie Krauss. Thanks so much for having me. So in the recent conferences that I've attended and and many of the industry publications I've read, there's two rating topics right now in L&D, and that's impact and AI. And for impact, there's so much uh, activity and emphasis on those three little letters which stands for return on investment. And it's really exciting. Everyone is super, super excited to be able to show ROI on enablement solution. However, as you all said, it's really, it's not easy. There's a couple of reasons for that. So with training, it can be challenging to represent a cause and effect relationship because so much else could be responsible for the improvement that we might've seen to performance, such as employee incentives, marketing solutions, product enhancements, you name it. And so the first thing is, you know depending upon the relationship that LND has with the business, we may or may not have a line of sight into business strategy. Without that line of sight, we may not know to ha- account for all the appropriate inputs as we tell back to our impact story. Um, and so that access, I would say, is that first challenge right there, um, especially as we think about the ROI equation in reference to the Phillips model. And this is all before considering the influence of our own L&D capabilities and bandwidth, which is another challenge that we have. We have to have the bandwidth, and you know, L&D is, is notoriously lean in staffing, and so we have to be able to have the bandwidth to validate our evaluation, evaluation instruments, set aside time to analyze insights um, and communicate impact, and so capacity, I would say, is another. Um, In a way, I suppose it sounds cheeky, but we have to ask ourselves, what is the ROI on measuring ROI? The ROI Institute recommends only evaluating about five to 10% of our trainings and showing return on investment that way, um, based on the size and scope of the program. And so lastly, I would say managing expectations with the business about what's feasible to measure ROI on and, and being able to really highlight where it makes sense to invest in that ROI demonstration and not. So I'd say, just to kind of summarize, access, capacity, and credibility would be three reasons I think that make it challenging to show ROI. Yeah, and I'd like to add
4: to that just a bit, because um, you mentioned a lot of the business you know, context that might be responsible for a difficulty in linking Training outcomes to business outcomes, but you know, it can be broader than that, too. Market conditions, and um, you know, for most of us, we're working with global companies, and so it's so highly variable that there is, even if you have the business information, um, a believability issue when you try to link training outcomes specifically to business outcomes. So it's really important to make sure that when you are designing programs and deciding what to measure, I love the point you made about. Being very specific about how and when you measure, and are the conditions right for being able to make that link? Because you could have the best data, you could have access to the data, you could have capability, but you're still going to have a believability issue at the end of the day, unless you have really strong controls over that. And oftentimes we don't, and that's another reason why it's just so hard.
2: Yeah, I think those are those are great points. I, I would say, from my perspective, I'm going to take a a little bit of an OD or de, or development lens. Um, to this kind of discussion as well at times, because to me, training, when it's thought of as just pure training, I think you can actually do a pretty decent job of measuring impact, right? If it's very straightforward, if it's a global intervention or something that's more complex, um, I think it's a whole different ball game. And to me, a lot of training in that regard, a lot of what we do in organizations is more of a change intervention than just training, right? And so I take it from an OD perspective, and and that brings in a whole other set of lenses that I'm not sure everyone is equally comfortable with, but for me, it's sort of many organizations will say, "Oh, give me some training to solve that problem. I want some training in this area. I want this. I want this." Without thinking through, the senior leaders who are asking for that don't always think through the implications. Really, why they want it, what they're doing, what they expect to get out of it, and any realistic, you know, to Jamie's point, like resourcing against that. Um, I mean, you know, Lindsay, your point too, I mean, linking it to the business, understanding what's going on, right, and, and the other factors in the organization. So um, for me, it's sort of stepping back and saying, all right, it's sort of like contracting, right? And I know we don't always have the opportunity to do that with senior leaders, and we don't always have, you know, visibility strategy. But to the extent possible, it's stepping back and saying, all right, you know, what is the definition of impact of this intervention? Why are we doing it? why did you pick training in the first place, right? Let's say it's the right intervention, that's great, but what else needs to go with it to make it work, right? It's not just training, right? What else needs to go with it? And usually I would argue measurement, but there's other things, right? We can talk about that later. So understand the impact needed, get realistic time horizons for measurement and for outcomes. So again, Jamie, I think you kind of touched on this a little bit, but, um, you know, there's often this budget cycle right every year that most companies operate under. And if you're lucky, you might have budget for a couple of years for a project. But some training efforts, some things take a long time, especially if it's linked to culture change, behavior change, new types of manager capabilities, um, new skill sets. It might not be something that's overnight or a month. So thinking about that and aligning the clients with the timing needed. And then finally applying that systems thinking. So, Lindsay, to your point, everything else that goes with it is the reward system going to reinforce the new behaviors? Are the communications reinforcing it? Do things like structure enable people to go apply new skills, learn? So there's lots of other things going on that you need to look at holistically to kind of make it work.
0: Yeah, that holistic approach is key. I love what what all of you mentioned, and especially you, Jamie, about how um, kind of determining the ROI of measuring ROI. I think there's kind of this long-standing notion that every single training intervention needs to be needs to be measured. So being more strategic about that um, is definitely definitely key.
2: On that point, exactly. I forgot to mention this. It's coming up later, but one of the things I was told when I joined PepsiCo was that we don't measure ROI. We don't believe in ROI. And so, Jamie, your point triggered that. I, I meant to mention that. Um, and part of the, the reason the head of learning at the time told me that ROI was circling the drain, at least at PepsiCo, and and it's because in that organization, historically, training development and and learning and leadership development, which are kind of bundled together there, has always been very effective, right? And over the years, that's been a pretty standard approach to ROI, although. I will say at times different leaders will come into the organization and start asking the same questions and you get into a scenario where you do need to do a study or prove something to kind of get over that hump. Um, but it is interesting, Jamie, I agree that, you know, it's a, the ROI and the ROI is a great question.
0: Well said, great. I think it also would be helpful for our listeners if if you could each tell us more about your own experience um, with measuring training impact. And specifically, what have you found that works or doesn't work when it comes to training measurement?
4: Yeah, I'll jump in. And I want to build on sort of what Alan just said, too, about um, ROI. And at Caterpillar, we've had very similar discussions And I remember a few years ago, there was a lot of training literature that was shifting the ROI to ROE, return on expectations. And that's really where we've been living. And I think that that's true in terms of what works for us in our learning measurement is not so much trying to correlate training interventions with selling more tractors, engines, and parts, but trying to say what outcomes are we trying to drive from that OD perspective from the organizational perspective, what metrics do we have that we can track against to get a sense of what that looks like and create that measurement plan as part of the initial design of those programs. And so certainly I would say when that is in place, that's when I've been, you know, the most successful with being able to create that story and articulate that story to stakeholders and, you know, anyone else who Would benefit from having that information. What doesn't work, I think even others started to mention that is when it's all ad hoc and there's this expectation that the data that is available, it's been very exciting. There's a whole lot of people data around, but it's not necessarily something that we can use readily. And so I think that's where there's still a lot of struggle of saying, oh, I'd really like to know this tidbit and the data might be there, but the resource and the capability around turning that data into something that's actually, you know, actionable um, can be very difficult. So I think going into it, it's really important to understand what are you trying to measure, and keeping it very targeted versus, you know, adding in all these different curiosities, um, and that that
3: can be challenging. Lindsay, that's a great point, and I. Love what you said about what doesn't work is thinking about things at an ad hoc, one-off sort of way. And Indeed, what we found to be really effective is as much as possible standardizing our approach to measurement. And so standardizing our sentiment survey, working with our sales effectiveness teams to build and maintain dashboards that we can self-serve, standardizing how we tell our impact story. So it's, the format is clear, it's easy to follow. Folks know what they're getting, when they're getting it. Um, we've also required observable behavior change for mandatory training requests. So to your point of aligning our work with, with business goals and business priorities and, and having available data, we wanna ensure that when there is a training request, we know what knowledge, skills, or attitudes are expected to be impacted and we have the data sources to tell us what that expectation or what that impact looks like. So I think those are some of the things that have been really effective at Indeed. And I think the last thing I'll say is just what doesn't work is not agreeing on what impact looks like before accepting a training request. Um, I think we'll get to it a little while, but being able to understand and align with the business, not only what we're hoping to impact, but also being really fair about Alan, I think you said this really well, training will account for a percentage of the performance changes that we see, but what else might be contributing to that? And and trying to account for all of the business strategies that are at play um, as we're looking to demonstrate the impact of our request. I think that's really important.
2: So let me um, share a little story from my time there at PepsiCo. So uh, and there's a Harvard Business Case that you can look up on this. I think it's 2009, um, but it's about Steve Reinemann, the CEO at the time, who uh, took over. I I literally joined the day he took over as CEO, and he had a very large DEI agenda. Um, back then, it was more diversity and inclusion, but it's the you know the same thread. And it was sort of the first time there was ever a center led focused agenda on DEI for the organization. It had always been decentralized over the years, and part of that process, you know, and there's a whole data argument for why we were doing it from a turnover perspective and culture. But part of that agenda in the mid 2000s um, was literally to create a new organization focused on learning around inclusion, right? So new training, the first ever centrally funded, centrally led um, training and development intervention for the entire organization. Right. So yep. up until that point, it had been, you know, distributed to different groups. And there were COEs, but they did pocket things, not, you know, not that kind of large scale intervention. And so we, you know, we approached it um from a culture change perspective, as you can imagine, because that's going to be my orientation, and linked a lot of other processes to that work. But what we what we found was we, you know, we started by asking kind of the Steve, what what are you really trying to achieve, right? So it's not just, I want to put training in place. Yes, I want everybody to go through training over the next two or three years, and I want to see impact, but to what, right? So we took a look at culture, right? How would culture be measured? And so we looked at our org surveys and changed those. We implemented a brand new pulse survey that was going every quarter that looked at people who had attended the training and who hadn't, right? Because we could segment that and look at their attitudes real time, right? As they went to the training and came back, what they remembered, what they felt, how they felt about the organization, our agenda, versus those who were kind of sampling peers that did not go. And we tracked that for three years. We also linked things to you know, PMP performance management objectives and talent metrics. But that pulse survey process and linking it to behaviors later on the following years in 360 and, and other feedback tools really enabled us to say, here are the messages. Here's what we expect from you when you attend. Here's how we wanna track how you have changed your perceptions. And here's the behavior set we want you to have afterwards and we're gonna measure you on it and reinforce it. So that really drove that training agenda you know, incredibly. And in the end, we went from, I have the data here for you, 33% in terms of the organization feeling like we're, we're making progress to 71 over three years. And that was driven by yes, the penetration of the training for sure, but also we were able to measure it and show that and by showing that data back kind of the roi of the roi in a way right by being able to show the impact through just simple pulse surveys that were targeted um we could show that it was making a difference and that reinforced senior leader communications to get people engaged right so it kind of you know created the whole energy source um, that drove that that program for five six years
1: that's great thank you all for sharing your experiences i think Um, This really, you all um, helped illustrate just how important it is to really understand the impact and the outcomes and the behaviors that you're trying to change before you even agree to that training request. So um, thank you all for sharing. And as we all know, there are so many models and frameworks out there to help learning and development professionals measure a training's impact. Um, I'd love to hear which you've found to be the most helpful. And if you have any tips for our listeners, um, looking to begin using these models or frameworks on the job.
3: I'm happy to jump in on this one. Um, at the association for talent development conference in 2022 in Orlando, I had the good fortune of attending a session led by Christopher Neubauer. He's the CHRO at rotary international. Um, And it was aligning ADDIE, the instructional design model that we all know and love with business impact. And so he takes the A-D-D-I-E and almost creates an accordion look to it. And so he's found three areas across the ADDIE model to really um, incorporate evaluation. And and so by keeping evaluation in mind throughout the design process, it's a really nice way to ensure that we are we are able to measure the impact of our training all along. And we've been touching on it throughout the podcast, but it starts with the analysis phase. It starts right off the bat, making sure that we are identifying the business challenge and quantifying a business goal in a language that resonates with the business, which is often money. It could be metrics metrics tied to money, but we're ensuring that the work that we're doing is laddering up and and we're focused on the right things um, with relation to the request. And the next thing that he talks about is determining if training is an appropriate strategy to influence this goal, because I, I'm sure we've all seen it. It's not, training is not always the answer or it's not the only answer. You know, there may be lots of other things that we need to consider if we're trying to achieve a goal. So um, if we, let's imagine though that we determine training is the answer, then we have to think about what knowledge, skills, and attitudes would be important to reach the goal and, and identifying learning objectives from there. And so in the analysis phase, Christopher talks about establishing evaluation criteria. So what does it look like if we were to achieve this goal? Um, What are the metrics associated with achieving this goal? How are we going to measure this? And then in the design phase, thinking about, all right, we may have existing um, instruments that we can leverage, but are there others that we need to design as part of our evaluation strategy? And of course we have to think about at what level do we want to measure the impact of this work? So, you know, levels one through five. Is ROI something that we want to consider as part of this? And then lastly, if, if you've been kind of created, looking at the ADI model, this accordion, and you've established that evaluation criteria and you've aligned with the business, you've identified and designed your, your evaluation instruments, then that last E, the end, the evaluation, all you need to do at this point is just execute it everything is really nicely set up for you and you've been accounting for evaluation all the while. So um, that's really helped me think differently about how to incorporate evaluation at every step. So it's not just something that, you know, we've accepted a training request, we've executed it, and now we have to think about how we're gonna measure it. Measurement is um, throughout the process.
2: I'm, you know, obviously a fan of all the old traditional models. I go back to Kirkpatrick. So even before Holton and some other people worked on the model and they've always kind of every version I've seen over the years is pretty much the same in my mind with some tweaks, but the fundamental basics of, you know, five levels or however you want to have, but something around how people feel about it initially, what they've learned over time, the application behaviors that people see in terms of change, you know, Overall impact, which I might put in the in the context of culture um, or other types of things, and then return, which is the hardest one, right, to measure, as we all talked about. Um, I, I tend to have those five in mind on every project I'm looking at, whether training or anything else, and, you know, have that kind of sense of survey data, feedback data, performance data, culture data, and then you start to look at, if you can, with enough metrics... Um, business impact, but that's the hardest piece. But I also like to to talk through, and, and Jamie, I think this is what you're getting at with the accordion. I think uh, I like to talk through also helping the client, helping my organization understand the difference between micro, meso, and macro kind of perspective on some of this, right? Because again, as I said earlier, I think core training for some types of skills at the micro individual level is pretty straightforward, right? You can do it, you can check it, you can see if it works, and you can look at if the job performance changes. And hopefully, you know, equate that up. But when you start to pull that up at higher levels, you start looking at more, you know, kind of, you know, broader organization development constructs like team climate, team dynamics and things, and then the macro levels of culture. And that takes broader measurement strokes. It takes a bit more of a of a time horizon to you need, as I mentioned. And so thinking about all of it together really can help you lay out where you have outages in your in your measurement strategy, right? So if you think about the three levels by the five, you know, the five types of data you want, right? Reaction, learning, application, impact, return. Um, you can really get strategic and figure out, have I got everything I need in place? And maybe I don't need it all, but have I have I thought about all the bases before somebody comes to me after? Because the hardest thing, any kind of evaluation work um is figuring out that you needed to measure something after you've passed the point at which you started to measure it, right? You forgot to get a baseline. Getting a baseline is key
4: yeah i think i mean you both covered that really well i'll just also add that at cat we also you know to jamie's point earlier are using sort of standard models in order to define what we're going to measure across programs and we may not measure it for every program but still we have a standard approach and you know in the question you asked about resources so i will just um share that we are currently using the evaluating the impact of leadership development book from the center for creative leadership and i think alan covered it all you know it just has a very methodical way of addressing all those things that you might want to measure and helping you think through designing that but again you know it really comes at the beginning the more forethought and proactive you can be when designing your measuring no matter what model you're using the better
3: Perfect, thanks
0: so much for sharing more about those models and and frameworks. We know there's a lot out there and and we'll link to some other job aids and and helpful tools in the show notes for this episode. Um, But we've covered a lot of ground so far and we've definitely talked about why it's important to identify what impact looks like before rolling out a solution or, or even working on a solution. But can you each shed some more light on to how to actually identify which learning metrics you should track, and and do you have any examples of kind of common common training metrics that our listeners should consider?
2: Well, uh, to me, the, the one way of of sort of pushing this, and it's a bit of the diagnostic discussion, um, but in order to know what to measure, you have to know why you're doing it, right? Why you're engaging in this particular intervention? Why you're doing training, and so I would, you know, it's. I think most of us know about the five whys, but I would always start with the five whys, right? And push the client, push the senior leader, the sponsor, whomever it is that's driving the training, right? Um, request push them to explain why they want this, why they need to have it, why they expect to see change. What's important about the whole thing? So you can get to the actual set of expectations slash change that they want to see right? You get to the real level at which you can measure it. Because a lot of times that I've seen it's going to be, I want some of this training. I want some of this intervention because it's cool or it's popular or because we have some money and I want to spend it or because I think this is important, but they haven't really thought through why they think that or what the real purpose is, right? And how it might link. And if you can push them, to articulate for you the strategy, the real reason behind, the root cause behind why something's being asked to be done, you can figure out how to measure it. Because fundamentally, you're going to get to what needs to change. What do I expect to see? And Jamie, to your point, I think, and, and Lindsay, you are getting to this too, I think at some level, the training may be part of the answer or not the answer, um, or maybe it's the perfect answer, but you need to know why you're doing it.
3: Alan, I... I think you spoke really well to this idea of, you know, we talk about a lot. Let's not be order takers. Let's be consultants. Let's be credible business partners. And I think getting down to that root cause is a great route to enabling us to be the consultants that we really want to be. because because you're you're right, I think sometimes business leaders have come and said, "Hey, we would like a training on time management but that's that's the thing that we need right now. And so in engaging in that analysis with the the business leader and asking them, why, we may find that time management isn't at all the thing that we should be focusing on and and the challenge is in another lane altogether or something deeper or, maybe part of it, but not all of it. And so um I think it's those conversations are so useful. And and I do think really kind of mark a change in in the industry and how we're positioning ourselves as enablement professionals. Um, rather than saying yes, we're saying why.
4: Yeah. And I'll add on that too, you know, I think once you get to the why part, I know part of the question was asking about standard measures. And it's really hard to be standardize and say, we're always gonna measure this when you're looking at the why and developing questions around that. But there are the precursors, you know, with what was the learner perception of the value of the training? How does the learner feel about their ability to apply their training? So across all of our training programs, we do measure that both learner reaction, immediately following training, your level one and level three with some space six to nine months after training how are you feeling about it maybe if um, depending upon the program we may also get manager or direct report input into that as well so those i think are pretty standard measurements that are relatively easy to implement across training programs and they are very impactful so much of what we're talking about today is the business outcome but a lot of times our stakeholders also understand that what we're trying to do is impact culture. And so the anecdotal feedback and even, you know, turning that into quantitative feedback via surveys is really significant to tell the story of did the training do what we wanted it to do? How did it impact our employees?
2: And that, that raises a really interesting point, Lindsay, for me. Um, you know, sometimes we kind of assume that ROI means you have to go all the way to the end right i mean it is return on the investment right but and and a lot of the models talk about that as the level 5 or level 6 but if in some cases if culture changes the agenda and you're driving let's say the inclusion you know inclusion capability i was talking about before which was you know manager behaviors etc or or something else around leadership or whatever it might be if you're driving something like that and the ultimate goal is to influence the culture it's not your job as the training leader to influence the outcome of the organization's culture to the business, right? You're really influencing the culture. I mean, that's that so is it really fair to make that argument? So I think I think it's a great point. I think there are cases where as we discussed, you may want to say, "Listen, the realistic expectation and the realistic ROI here is culture change as measured by some survey work or by employees or by turnover rather than trying to go all the way to, you know, business pure business results, right?" So I think that's kind of a a great point
4: yeah and actually that i just want to add right now at caterpillar a few months ago i had an article on trainingindustry.com about our frontline manager development program and we're currently measuring it right now we're conducting an impact study and that's exactly what we're doing is you know throughout the program we've done level one reaction or that you know immediate response we've gone back and resurveyed Everybody who took the training in 2022 gotten their perceptions of how that training, you know, is continuing to impact them or not. And we're coupling that with some HR data like our employee insights and, and you know, seeing if we can glean any themes or key takeaways from that. But really, it's to that point of what we're trying to measure here and what we're trying to articulate is that this has provided value to our business by improving the culture, improving leadership capabilities at the front line. And so that is the ROI, you know, and it's not direct. It's not dollars and cents necessarily. We could extrapolate it out to that when you talk about attrition and things like that, but really the buck kind of stops at, what is attrition looking like? Has that bar changed? And that's a very robust measurement, I guess is what I'm saying too. So while ROI is sort of the the blue dot in the sky, as everybody has stated here, it may not really tell the story better than other measurements and methodologies.
3: Lindsay, that is so, so well said. and it sounds like you're all you all are doing a great job of building that that chain of evidence really nicely across uh, various levels. I think what's interesting, too, and this is maybe um, somewhat paradoxical to say inside of this conversation, but, I mean, ROI is expensive to measure, certainly can be, because of the investment on demonstrating it. We can't, at the same time, overlook level one, right? The employee sentiment on the training, especially when we're designing new programs, and it's vital to understand how this program landed with our with our audience, with our learners, um, and so... And in fact, you know, the science of learning, if we don't capture folks' attention and engagement, we're not going to be able to move towards any other level. <laughs> we're not going to be able to uh, see knowledge transfer occur uh, as we'd measure through L2 or see behavior change happen as we'd measure through L3 if we haven't captured their engagement and attention. So um I think that's a really important call out. ROI is exciting but the other levels can't be ignored either.
2: I I would totally agree. I I think you need to get data at all levels as much as you can, going back to that grid kind of construct, right? Um, And link it together across different types of measures because the more you can do that, even if they're similar, right? So, you know, manager surveys versus culture surveys versus, you know, reaction surveys initially, et cetera, um, because it tells a story. But you can't skip, you can't skip the reactions. I mean, if yeah you can't do it. People expect to be able to give you feedback on any program, especially new programs, right? Um you can't you can't do that. So uh, I think those are great points.
0: Such great points there. I love what what all of you said and especially what Alan said about that realistic ROI. That that's great to keep in mind. We'll be right back after a brief message from training Industries certified professional and training management program. The Certified Professional in Training Management Credential, or CPTM, is designed to convey the essential competencies you need to manage a training organization. When you become a CPTM, you gain access to alumni resources like monthly peer roundtables and a full registration to the Training Industry Conference and Expo. If you start today, you can earn the CPTM credential in as little as two months. To learn more, visit cptm.trainingindustry.com. As we record this
1: episode in July 2023, many companies in the U.S. are experiencing layoffs and budget cuts due to the current state of the market. How can measuring the impact of training ultimately prove the value of L&D to the business, which in uncertain economic times is even more important? I'd love to hear your
3: thoughts.
4: I'd certainly be interested in what my co-presenters here have to say as well, but For me, it's really about the storytelling. You know, people love to hear a compelling story and having the data behind the impact that you're making with your training can really put the exclamation mark on the point that you're making. And so, however, you can't just send numbers. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. It's not that the data alone or measuring the impact will do it you have to also combine that with the messaging. And and I think that's where even in the last bit we were talking about all the way through of what is the experience to the learners? How is this impacting the people in the business? So much of training is people focused. You, You can't leave that part out. But then coupling that with we've got this great compelling human story and here's some information about the way that that human story is impacting our business performance. To me, that's how we prove the value of LMD. It's still absolutely human-led.
2: Yeah, I think that's a, a great point, Lindsay. I think storytelling is a, is a key skill for just about every change-related intervention, HR intervention, talent intervention, anything, right? Um, and we're professionals in the field, we're all used to kind of looking at the data that we have and, and sort of presenting it, but Storytelling for impact is just is critical. And you can make um amazing stories out of data that's not as robust as it might appear <laughs> that yet can have a significant impact on the vibrancy of a program or an entire function, to be honest. You know I don't know, Michelle, you asked this question. I'm not sure that much has changed. I mean, I've been around a long time in the field, right? and and l and d and you know OD have always been targets during different business cycles over the different you know um, decades. So I'm not sure I, I see that much changing. What I do see is a little bit more um, emphasis on sort of global business services and the move of functions, learning functions in particular, but also analytics and some others to other other parts of the world, right? Sort of offshoring elements of them, and I worry a little bit about that because to me that actually ties right into Lindsay to your point about the ability to tell stories if other people are really doing all the execution and sort of deep in the data right? So you might have a smaller, even smaller L&D group than, you know, Jamie, you're mentioning small to begin with, right? Lots of people are lean. You might get even smaller and just have somebody doing strategy, right? And maybe some content work and all the other work goes away. That makes it much harder to kind of get your hands around what's really going on. So to me, being able to tell a compelling story and figuring out sort of now, right? Going forward, where you're going to pick your story and going deep on that to make that story meaningful is what you need to do to bolster the, the organization you're trying to, to, you know, keep alive and vibrant. Um, So I would, I would be saying it is important to, to do that story. And it's important to think very carefully about where you want to put your emphasis so that you can go as deep end to end as you possibly can to, you know, kind of support the need for your work and the impact of your work.
3: Alan, I I totally agree. And I think for me, it's, Yes, Lindsay, you said it really nicely, being able to tell that impact story in a really compelling way. But if we're measuring and reporting on the business impact of training, it assumes that we're aligning with the business on priorities and goals and what matters to them. And so that will help L&D have a seat at the table, and it will help us really be able to identify the enablement strategy aligned to business impact. We will focus on the things that matter to the business and in this way we'll become business partners. And I think that's one thing that we can continue to do in our field, really work with our, um, with our business partners and our business leaders to ensure that the things that we're focused on are the things that also matter for them and the things that they're trying to drive to. We should really, be seen as partners because we can impact so much. I mean, it, it, Alan and Lizzie are both were talking about all the ways that training can influence everything from like the individual reps' skills to the, you know, organizational culture. Um, there's so much that we can do, but we can also help the business better align their requests with things that are going to ultimately impact the things that matter to them, too.
0: Perfect. Well, everybody, we've touched on so much here, and I know we could keep this conversation going and going, but before we do wrap up, are there any final takeaways that you'd like to leave our listeners with today?
2: I'd like to just build on Jamie's point. I think um, I think the whole idea is having the training function or the learning organization, if you will, depending on what you call it, right, or capability. There's lots of different names, um, but be, have a strategic place in the, in the function of HR and in the business, and I think one of the things I would ask, you know, all of my training colleagues and all of my OD colleagues and all of my IO psychologist colleagues and TM colleagues work together because it's, you know, there's a, there's a tendency for specialists and specialties to silo, um, even when it's an integrated agenda or integrated business, you know, strategy you need to solve. And I think by, by coming together and learning about sort of different specialties and, you know, whether it's cross training or whether it's simply partnering better, you do a much better job of integrating your impact and thinking about all the connectivity points. And I, I, you know, I've never built programs at PepsiCo in my years where I wasn't working closely with the head of learning and development, right. Whether it's that person building training to support my interventions or my building data tools, surveys and feedback tools, performance metrics, whatever to support his or her, learning interventions, right? So I think it's really critical you bring them all together um, and work not only with your clients, which is, uh, Jamie, absolutely critical as well, and your HR business partners, but also the other professionals who can make the impact of your training even greater.
3: Yeah, that's that's a great point, Alan, I love that. And you're right, If if we can work to centralize change management, which I think is what we're really getting at across all the various parties who contribute to it, um, we'll all be laser focused on the things that, that matter the most to the business. And it'll be a much more compelling story across all of our work.
4: I agree. I, I don't think I have much to add. Both of you have summed it up really nicely. Um, collaboration is definitely key. And uh, Jamie, one of your last points was, you know, being tied into the business, ensuring that, that connection is clear and understood by all sides um i think also is probably more important necessarily than the true roi it's what are we measuring together and how will we go about achieving that so yeah thank you
0: on that note thank you all so much for speaking with us today on the podcast how can our listeners get in touch with you if they'd like to reach out
2: email for me is fine um allenhd 2020 at gmail.com.
4: I'm on LinkedIn. You're welcome to add me on LinkedIn. Lindsay Clayton uh, should be relatively easy to find. And I'm sure there may even be a link uh, provided with the podcast or some sort of um, reference point there, but feel free to reach out there. I
3: agree. LinkedIn is great for me too. Um, I have a common name with an uncommon spelling. So do make sure you put J-A-I-M-I-E, Kraus um, in LinkedIn. And I'm I'm looking forward to connecting with you all.
1: To learn more about training measurement, visit the show notes for this episode at
0: trainingindustry.com slash
1: trainingindustrypodcast.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, let us know. Leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at infotrainingindustry.com or use the Contact Us page at TrainingIndustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.